0: As you go into the Gospels and uh, look at the chronology of the Gospels, uh, you find that the instruction that we will look at this morning was given by our Lord actually the night before His crucifixion, as John mentioned, at Scripture reading time. And uh, I just want us to um, look at uh, a couple sections and see the truth which the Lord wanted the disciples to understand (coughs) with their knowing that he would not be visibly present with them. There are certain things he wanted them to remember. And uh, we will look at these together. Uh, wanted them to remember. You know, um, our memory is a tremendous gift. It really is. Uh, the ability to remember things that we have to do, or remember <coughs> things in the past, uh, wow it 's awesome, and uh, we all have kind of different systems that we use to help us to remember things. <clears throat> I like to write things down, and if i <laughs> they 're laughing for a reason they 're laughing for a reason <clears throat> if i um don 't have a piece of paper on me and I have the top of a tea bag i 'll write on there what I need to do and uh, People laugh like you are doing, but here 's the interesting thing: it works. It works for me. Um, Once in a while, I lose something that I write down. (laughs) But um, uh, Erwin Lutzer, who was the retired pastor from Moody Church in Chicago, he had a system that I could never use. He had a, a, a clothesline in his mind. And on that clothesline were 20 different animals hanging. And if he had to remember something, he would put it on the back of one of the animals and that helped them to remember all 20 things. This is real, this is serious. He told us all about it and it worked for him for years. I couldn't even think of that. I, I wouldn't even know where the clothesline was. <laughs> it's amazing. The word of God encourages us of course to to uh, memorize his word. Um God's Word. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 11, is probably the key verse for memorizing Scripture. Your Word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And it's awesome for us to really have the Word of God uh, in our minds and in our hearts. Uh, I have talked to some seniors who said that one of the blessings of their life, their lives, uh, was to be able to. Reflect upon and remember scripture. Even when got, they got to the point where they couldn't remember uh, a lot of things that they should remember. Uh, they said, I never want to lose the ability to reflect upon and draw back into my thinking uh, the word of God. And I know you've heard this too. Uh, people say uh, when you get over the age of 65, uh, you three things gradually decrease. One of them is your eyesight And the other one is your hearing. And what's that other one? (laughs) (laughs) On the way to the cross, the Lord Jesus is spending time with his disciples in a place called the Upper Room. And um, he observes the Passover with them. And we're going to see some things that he instructs them on. And I think it's things that the Lord wants us to remember. And we're not thinking in terms of memorizing certain verses in that section, although it wouldn't hurt. But there are some things that he wants his men, his disciples, to remember, and we as well. When John 13, if you'll look there with me for just a moment, we're going to look at John 13 and John 15, uh, we see that the public ministry of the Lord Jesus to Israel has ended. The public ministry of Jesus. Uh, He is now intent on training his disciples. And uh, the final invitation to the people of Israel was given. Look at chapter 12. Just let your eyes glance at chapter 12 and verse 36. Jesus said, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Watch the end of verse 36 now. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. So um, our Lord's public ministry to the people of Israel, recognizing, of course, the fact that many rejected him. Yes, there are some who believed in him, but many did not understand him. The leadership of Israel rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. And so things are going to take place now very quickly as Jesus is on the way to the cross. Uh, There are very important truths that the Lord is instructing His disciples. And I think one of the things you keep in mind as you look in this passage of Scripture, starting with chapter 13, that the Lord Jesus wants the disciples to understand. Yes, He's going back to the Father in heaven, but He wants the disciples to understand that He loves them very much. You catch that in 13.1. Now, before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father. Watch the last part of the verse now. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them completely or he loved them to the end. The Lord loves us very much. And uh, sometimes even as uh, those who have known the Lord for many years, we kind of go along in the Christian life and Sometimes even when the trials come along, it's so easy to doubt the love of God. The Lord doesn't want us to doubt his love for us. He loves each and every one of us very much. He also assures them not only of his love, but of the fact of heaven. He tells the disciples, now remember, he's going to the cross. They will visibly see him not much longer. He wants them to understand, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. The fact of heaven. Boy, that's something we we just, we have to have well established in our minds and thinking. In fact, that's one of the truths that when we invite people to Christ, we say, you know, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, two things become your possession number one is forgiveness of sin and number two is a home in heaven we who know christ the savior we're looking forward to that home in heaven and then he talks to them about the power available for their ministry he talks about greater works that they will do than he has done and people look at that and they say well, i don't know you know jesus healed the sick and he raised the dead what was his point in talking about greater works his point was that there will be those who know him who will be able to lead sometimes thousands of people to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, like Evangelist Billy Graham has done in past years. Greater works in the sense of the fact that more and more people through his people will come to faith in Christ. And, of course, he promises them the Holy Spirit, And one of the verses that we should have well in our thinking would be 1417 where Jesus said, The Holy Spirit dwells with you, men, disciples, but he shall be in you. And uh, that promise of the Holy Spirit is available to us. We who know Jesus as our Savior this morning are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And that is a great resource that we have. And that's a truth that the Lord, on his way to the cross, wants his disciples to remember that the Holy Spirit's going to be living within them and staying within them and giving the power uh, for them to bear fruit for the Lord, which we will be talking about. He also promised in chapter 14, God's truth. He said that the Holy Spirit will guide you into truth. And you know one of the blessings of the Christian life that we have this morning? is There's a lot of false teaching out there, isn't there? A lot of false teaching religions that don't have Christ involved. But we who know Christ as Savior, you see, we have the word of God. And the Lord tells us his truth. We need the truth. The truth encourages us. Uh, The truth strengthens us. Um, Very much so. So he promised his truth. He promised his peace. We'll talk about this in a little bit and he promised them joy in their lives and experience. Now, it's interesting to notice uh, we the Apostle John talks about the fact that the Lord knew certain things. <clears throat> when Jesus, 13, 1, knew that his hour had come, he knew certain things and it affected what he did. He knew that his hour had come. In other words, the Lord Jesus realized that he was on a divine, heavenly time frame, timetable. And uh, in chapter 2, verse 4 of John, he says, My hour has not yet come. In 7.30, he says, My hour has not yet come. 8.20, it's not yet come. Uh, in uh, seventeen one, Father, the hour has come. In other words, what's he referring to? He's referring to the fact of his hour being the time when he would willingly go to the cross, pay for our sins, suffer and die, be buried and rise again uh, for you and for me. The hour has come. I like what um, Warren Wiersbe said. He said several things in relationship to this. He said, first of all, keep in mind uh, when it comes to the human side of the, the hour that the Lord had to experience, there was great suffering can't get away from it. The Lord suffered dearly in order to go to the cross and pay for our sins. But from the divine standpoint, the text of Scripture is very clear that he was glorified as he accomplished the Father's will and willingly went to the cross for you and me. So therefore, Jesus says in 17.4, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work that you have left for me to do. And uh, he accomplished that for you and for me. I like again what Warren Wiersbe said. He said, when the servant of the Lord is in the will of God, he is immortal until his work is done. In other words, when you're in the will of God, nobody's going to touch you. You're under the hand and the protection of God until the Lord's finished with you here on this earth. He will keep his hand over you. He will protect you when you are in his will. And the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, being in the will of God, there was only a certain time uh, when he allowed himself to be taken to the cross and he laid down his life for us. Very interesting. It says in verse 2 also, and I'll read that with you, after supper being ended, the devil having all... um, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. What's interesting here is the fact that Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. Judas is mentioned eight times in John's Gospel. And there's no, um, can we say it this way, there's no uh, unplanned activity going on without the knowledge of our Lord with regards to his crucifixion. Satan had entered into Judas, it's recorded in Luke 22, 3, and would now be putting into his thoughts the fact that Judas could betray the Son of God. You know, when we read about Judas' betrayal of the Son of God, we think, wow, how could he do that when uh, the Lord was so gracious to him for at least three years and yet Judas could betray uh, the very Son of God? And uh, I'll tell you why it can happen. Uh, You know, when you read things in Scripture, you say, I wonder why. Why would a man like Judas do that? I'll tell you one aspect of it. And that's the fact that Judas, rather than allow the teaching of the Lord to infiltrate his mind and heart and will, he allowed Satan to uh, grab hold of his thoughts. People say, how can a man go up in a a high-rise building and take a gun and stand there and mow down people. Innocent people, which he has no relationship with whatsoever. I'll tell you how he can do it. When Satan gets a hold of somebody's mind, some bad things can happen, right? And the Lord has given to us, as believers, the shield of faith by which we can uh, hold off all the fiery darts of the wicked one. We have Ephesians 6, the shield of faith, And so you see, your trust in the Lord uh, blocks sometimes thoughts that Satan would want to put in your mind and your heart. Well, Judas didn't have that shield of faith, and Satan entered his thoughts. Jesus also knew very quickly that the Father had given all things into his hands. Did you see that in verse 3? Jesus, knowing that the Father has given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going back to God. Uh, I think that's a very interesting thing that it's wise for us not to overlook. Because the Lord Jesus Christ knew that he was the uh, Son of God, the servant of the Lord as described in the Old Testament Scriptures, he knew that the Father, again, would give to him the things that he needed in order to be faithful to the Father in heaven. Remember now, Jesus Christ is God the Son. So he's fully man, and he's fully God. As true man, he has the resource of the Father in heaven. By the way, you say, well, that's good, you know, the Father in heaven took care of the Son. He takes care of us too. You see, he supplies all things that we need as well. And you rightfully say, now where is that found in the Bible? Well, that's found clearly in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, where we read, as his power has given to us, All things that pertain to life and godliness through knowledge of him who called us by his glory and virtue. In other words, here's the point. 1 Peter 1.3 Everything that we need to, to live the Christian life has ultimately been given to us by the Lord. In other words, we need to keep going in our walk with the Lord. He's given to us his word. He's given to us the Holy Spirit who lives within us. He's given to us uh, the Holy Spirit to enable us, to give us the power uh, to do His will. So yes, it's true that the Father gave all things unto the Son. The Father has given all things into His hands. And the interesting thing is that the Father has also given to us the resources that we need. You have in your hands this morning the very Word of God. And it's very interesting. Uh, sometimes it's it's easy to neglect reading our Bibles. It's easy ne- to neglect the power of prayer. And we'll be talking about this in just a minute. And yet God says, I have given these things to you that you might live before me as I want you to live. As I've carved out, planned for you to live. Uh, Jesus also knew uh, what was his responsibilities to do. He knew these things. Um, Again, there are a lot of things that can come along in our Christian lives that cause us sometimes to have some doubts, maybe with regards to the Lord's lover. Why does the Lord allow this in my life and experience? And the enemy would like to come along and cause us to doubt. You know... uh, It's really interesting, that verse in Hebrews chapter 10, where the writer of Hebrews says, Cast not away your confidence. We used to sing a chorus when I was young, and I'd like to sing it for you this morning, but I dare not. (laughs) But I'll never forget that chorus. It went like this. Cast not away your confidence, saith the Lord our God. Now by faith in Him alone I stand, firmly held by His almighty hand. Fully trusting in His grace, praise the Lord. What a chorus. Cast not away your confidence. And, and things can come along and, and, and they'll beat on your thinking. and Well, is God really taking care of me? Does He really love me? And the answer is yes. He loves us very much. On the way to the cross. On the way to the cross. The next thing Jesus does is He washes the disciples' feet. Look at verse 5. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel which he had with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. I think we see in this section two things that the Lord wants to see in the disciples and wants to see in us. The first thing is a surrendered heart. You see, Jesus wasn't going to talk about foot washing. The reason he gave that example was this. Remember the Lord said, those who are cleansed do not need to be cleansed all over again. And he's talking about spiritual cleansing. When you're saved, you're we we use the term and washed in the blood of the lamb you've been spiritually cleansed by the lord you don't have to get saved over again once you're saved you're in the family of god however as we walk and journey through this life our feet get dirty some of you wear sandals by the way parenthesis i don't like sandals but you can keep going wearing them that's okay the disciples wore sandals, and their feet got dirty. And stop to think about it. Here's the eternal Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of glory. Just think how it hit the disciples. And he stoops down, and he takes a basin, and he starts washing their, and I'm going to put the adjective on, dirty feet. It, they, they'll never forget it, will they? Even through all eternity. They're not going to forget that the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, wash their feet. And of course, the Lord was talking about a heart situation. He's talking about the fact that when we're cleansed, our hearts are cleansed. We are cleansed spiritually before God. We're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But as we move through this life, the Lord Jesus was saying we need to be careful because uh, we can sin in thought, word, and deed. Sometimes there's thoughts that we... Carry with a little bit too long. Sometimes there's things we say that we shouldn't say, and sometimes there's things that we do we really shouldn't do. So, therefore, our feet need to be washed. What was he saying? We need to be cleansed. Not our being born again all over, but cleansed from sins that hinder our fellowship with our Lord and our God and our Savior. So Jesus wants the disciples to remember that they are to have surrendered or cleansed hearts, and they are to have a servant spirit. And he taught them that very effectively. Moving along very briefly, we see John 13. He's the servant. In John 14, he comforts them with regards to the future and says, "Look, men, with regards to the future, I prepared a place for you in heaven." And in John 16, uh, uh, pardon me, John 15, uh, he is the vine and we are the branches very quickly what the lord jesus is saying is your life will count for me if you stay in fellowship with me now that's an easy formula to get right out of that chapter isn't it your life will count for me if you stay in fellowship with me and he makes it very clear Fifteen five c you'll notice jesus said without me you can do nothing. Woo! That's a big statement, isn't it? It really is. So anything that we want to do that God's glorified in God's will and plan for us, we have to do with the enabling of the Lord Himself. He said, without me, you can do nothing. Uh, If we teach a class, if we sing a song, if we minister to others, no matter what we do, we're always to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the power of Christ. We need Christ for all the things that we do. Without me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. He continues on in here, and he develops the fact that he's the vine, and we as believers are the branches. He is the true vine. Now, there's a reason the Lord said that. I am the true vine. Implication, there was a false vine. The false vine, of course, was the nation of Israel, which God had chosen to be a light to nations around Israel, but the people of Israel didn't worship the true and living God. They didn't appreciate the fact that the Father in heaven sent the Son, the Messiah, to give his life for their sins, and uh, they were not bearing the fruit that God wanted to see in their lives. And so therefore Jesus comes along and he says, I am the true la, the true vine. And I want to keep moving along very briefly and uh, notice with me, please, that the fact uh, is stated clearly in Scripture uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ, again, wanted the people of Israel to be a light to the nations around them but they were not that light. So the Father sends the Son, who is the true vine, who brings fruit to the Father in heaven. Now one of the interesting things in this passage is to understand what the term abiding, or John's translation, remaining, although he mentioned abide, You'll notice in verse 7 it says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you desire and it shall be done unto you. By this is my Father's glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Here's the point. He's on the way to the cross. He wants the disciples to remember some things. He wants them to remember that yes, he will not be visibly present with them, but like we who are here this morning, we can bring and bear fruit for the Lord. In fact, there's a um, statement here about the kind of fruit, much fruit, he mentions in the 15:7 uh, passage. There's much fruit. If you abide in me, the word abide or remain is used 11 times in chapter 15. And it means this, uh, to live in fellowship with the Lord, you and I, As individuals staying in fellowship with the Lord to the point where, like the vine with the branches, the life of Christ can flow through us. And we could do things for the Lord that we never even, especially before we were saved, anticipated that we could do to bring fruit or honor to our Father in Heaven. I'm going to look at the fruit with you very briefly in just a moment. The point again is, This abiding in Christ. What a privilege it is for you and me to say, you know, I belong to Christ and he belongs to me. We're in communion. We're in fellowship together. I would say probably one of the key verses to memorize in Scripture is Galatians 2.20. Now, some of you I know know that verse. Okay, I can see you smiling just a little bit. Um, Galatians 2.20. This relates to our being in fellowship with the Lord. Okay, If you know it, would you do it with me? Here we go. Um, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Wow. See, the life that I now live, I live by faith in him. I have been crucified with Christ. I died with Christ, was raised with Christ. And now he lives within me in order to supply for my needs, to enable me to bear fruit to the Father in heaven. So uh, the question always is then, people ask themselves the question, what is the spiritual fruit? I believe we see some in this passage, and I'm going to mention the others mentioned in Scripture, and we'll close in prayer. The spiritual fruit is actually mentioned in this passage, and sometimes some people kind of, overlook it and they look at these other things that are mentioned as fruit for the Lord like winning someone else the faith in Jesus Christ. Well certainly that's fruit for the Lord. If you lead a friend, someone at work, one of your relatives the faith in Christ, that's fruit to God. But you know there's interesting fruit that's mentioned right in the passage here when you look at it very carefully and I'm going to call it fruit number one is answered prayer 15.7 15.7 If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done unto you. Here's the point. When you know the uh, the Lord, Jesus Christ, you're in fellowship with Him. As a result of that, God's answering your prayers. Some Sunday we probably should do this, at least take part of the service and talk about it. recent answers to prayer. I'm sure, I'm sure, all of us, could take something and say in our lives, here's something the Lord did for me last week. Here's something the Lord did for me a week ago. I remember twice last week, twice, two times, driving along, and it could have been a bad accident. But it wasn't. The Lord was taking care of me. And before we ever get in the car, we say, Lord, guide us, protect us as we're out on the road. You know, Remember, we live in Louisville. We need protection. Answered prayer. Our conversation with the Lord Jesus Christ is like a branch connected to a vine. And prayer is like the nutrients that flow between the vine and the branch. Relationships are maintained and strengthened through communication. You see, if you want to become weak spiritually, let's take a caution here. You say, I don't want to become weak spiritually. But if you maybe find yourself getting weaker spiritually, you're probably not praying enough. Because God wants to bless your life with answered prayer. Now, you and I know we've done this many times. We're not saying God always says yes to our prayer requests. He may say yes. He may say no. It may not be. He may say, wait a while, or he may give you what you are asking in a little different form that you are asking. But answered prayer, I believe, is fruit number one. Number two is obedient love for the Lord. In response, we love the Lord because he first loved us. And I love 1515 where he says, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all things that I've heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ approaches us, and we do have a friendship relationship with God. He is our Lord and our Savior, and we always show respect when we talk to Him. We talk to others about Him, but Jesus said, I've called you friends, and that obedient love for your Lord is another one of the Fruits that you see here in the text. The third one is joy, 1511. Jesus said, These things I have spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and your joy might be full. Listen. Don't miss this. If you know a Christian who's very discouraged and doesn't have joy, you really need to pray for that believer. You need to pray that that believer will get back into fellowship with Christ, because Christ wants to give us joy in our lives and our experience. Uh, we are on our way to heaven. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. Uh, the Lord has given to us all things to help our spiritual lives. We have the Bible, the Holy Spirit, the, the resource of prayer, uh, bl- brothers and sisters in Christ. The Lord says, I want you to have my joy in your life. That's another fruit, I believe, of the Spirit. And uh, the last one that I want to mention is sacrificial love. And you'll notice it says in verse 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone may lay down his life for his friends. And of course, the point here is this. The Lord commands us to love others. Don't miss this. If you as a believer find that you're burdened for somebody who doesn't know Christ or doesn't have a relationship with the Lord? You're really burdened for somebody? You have a love for that person? And you may be even saying, I don't know what I can do. I, I, I can't really talk to that person. I can't really Listen, if you have a love, sacrificial love, that's the fruit of your relationship to the Lord. God's working in your life when you have a love or a burden or concern. For somebody else. That's the fruit that's mentioned in the passage itself. And of course we usually uh, write out and decide to uh, enlist the other kinds of fruit that God works out in our lives. Like Christian character, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. A lot of people say, you know, that's what the Lord wants to see in your life. Love, joy, peace. That's fruit that comes out of your fellowship with the Lord. Can I put a parenthesis in here? If you're not talking to the Lord as much as you should, if you're not as close to the Lord as you feel you should be, why not get there today? Why not say, Lord, we looked at that passage, those passages this morning in John 13, and it says very clearly that you loved us, you loved your disciples completely, and you instructed them before you went to the cross. Lord, I want to experience that love in my life. Christian character, good works, converts to the gospel praise to the Lord the fruit of our lips giving praise to God when you're singing in church and you know you're looking at the words and say man that's a great song I'm gonna sing that to the Lord that's the fruit in your life that God's working and and saying to you you know th- pray keep praising my name we sing to the Lord that's fruit. The fruit of the lips, giving praise to God. And, of course, sacrificial love for others. So the four in the context of John 15 are answered prayer, obedient love for Christ, genuine joy, and sacrificial love for others. If you see those four things in your life, it is amazing how God is working in your heart. Let's pray together.